The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Ah, oh, they make it so easy, Gibson. Like shooting fish in a barrel. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, April 30th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. How easily this freedom-loving culture has handed its freedom over to governments like shooting fish in a barrel. The world economic shutdown has already gone well into overtime and it's time to open up. Everything. Now. Not gradually. Not in a controlled manner. In a completely uncontrolled manner. And if that doesn't happen, then you can be certain of one thing. That the COVID-19 pandemic is a political one. And that's the reality that we will be taking a closer look at right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. As always, consider offering your financial support. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of the 52-page full-color publication Climate Essentials written by one of our regular guests, Dave Plum. Over our past several broadcasts, we've pretty much entertained just about all of the credible and most objective reports and theories about the source and nature of the nouveau coronavirus. We now know that all of the original projections were completely wrong, a fact that government officials were citing as proof that their physical distancing and shutdown strategies were working. But statistics thus far accumulated, and based on much larger samples than the original predictions, make it clear that social distancing and the shutdowns had minimal effect on the number of infections, if any. And as I suspected from the very beginning, millions of people in North America have already contracted the virus without ever knowing it. And as of this current recording, the statistics concerning COVID-19 fall right into line with pretty much every other flu virus that makes its way through the population on an annual basis. It's also becoming clear that the shutdown was unnecessary, given that countries who did not shut down have COVID-19 stats not so much different from those who did. And in that regard, I'd like to acknowledge Dave Plum for sending me his own analysis, complete with graphs and charts of COVID-19 stats comparing the United States and Canada with Sweden, which did not order any mandated shutdowns. His conclusion, quote, Numbers vary greatly with populations, but the trends look to be pretty much the same in all three countries. The main difference that we don't see in the data is that the Swedes still have personal freedom and businesses are still in business, end quote. And I myself have now watched numerous excellent interviews featuring Sweden's approach to the pandemic, and they all bear out what Dave has concluded. So why aren't we opening up now? Well, because the virus is still out there, say our politicians and health officials, to which we can only respond, but the virus will always be out there, so how do you intend to deal with that fact? And even as the curve is flattening, we're still in a lockdown, despite promises that we would be opening then. So, given all these emerging realities, 
why are we still in shutdown? Due to the devastating COVID-19 situation, and what situation is that? All the empty hospitals? And how is it any more devastating than an average flu season whose numbers are now being discovered rival the worst predictions of the COVID-19? There's no doubt that the major impact being felt during this pandemic period is not one related to, quote, a devastating COVID-19 situation, end quote, but to the impact of a devastating state-enforced shutdown. It's a shutdown that, based on what we are broadly being told by government and state officials, simply does not make any sense. And more and more people are beginning to wake up to that reality. Bunch of yahoos on Ontario Premier slams anti-lockdown protesters at Queen's Park, reads the headline on a CBC coverage of April 25th, 2020. Ontario Premier Doug Ford called anti-lockdown protesters at Queen's Park on Saturday a bunch of yahoos and said they were being selfish and irresponsible for demonstrating against provincial emergency orders in place to slow the spread of COVID-19. Well, you know, that's altruism at its ugliest. Accusing people whose rights you violated of being selfish because they want to have their freedom restored. Think about that. In an email to CBC Toronto before the protest, an organizer of the anti-lockdown at Queen's Park explained what the group would be trying to do at the event while people with COVID-19 are fighting for their lives in hospital. The cure is worse than the cause, the email reads. Health and economics are not mutually exclusive. We are fighting for small business, the working class, the poor, students, victims of domestic abuse, people waiting for elective medical procedures, the right to peaceful assembly, the list is endless. We choose freedom, liberty, and the balance of mental and physical health, the email continues. Mayor John Tory agreed with Ford, saying the quickest way to end the shutdown is for people to stay home. (laughs) Well, until when? But this is what politicians have been promising us week after week, and there's nothing quick about this deadly shutdown. The quickest way to end it is to end it. Quote, gathering in a large group is to thumb your nose at well-accepted science and professional health advice. It risks undoing the good we have all sacrificed to achieve together. In fact, it runs the risk of making the shutdown longer, Tory said in a statement on Saturday. And there again, there's that ugly streak of altruism again. We've all sacrificed to achieve the good. And when Tory says it runs the risk of making the shutdown longer, I have to assume that's a lie, because that's what we were told would happen at the end of the first two weeks of shutdown, then at the end of the second two weeks in the shutdown. And now, in this statement, they're talking about a four-month period, or longer? I wonder if Doug Ford, in all his altruistic indulgence, ever considers the selfish needs of people like letter to the editor-writer Nancy N. of St. Thomas, whose comments appeared in the April 16th edition of the London Free Press under the headline, Planning Failure at Cancer Center. Quote, While dropping off my daughter for appointments, I saw patients lined up outside. My daughter confirmed this is a regular occurrence since COVID-19 protocols were put in place. Patients are left to their own devices while waiting to be seen at the registration desk. Not only do they have cancer, but many are elderly and confused and are made to stand outside no matter the weather with no help. Security won't let anyone but hospital staff, which there are none of, to stand with them. I challenge officials to walk in these poor people's shoes for a day, end quote. Well, maybe letter writer Nancy should organize a protest to air her quite valid concerns, but Ford might disapprove and label her as being selfish. 
And as more people begin to wake up to the unnecessary continuance of shutdowns, protests like this one in downtown Vancouver, which was covered by Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, will become an increasing phenomenon. I'm down here at um, Cambian 12th, and it's Friday, and there's a bunch of people that have gathered uh, doing a little bit of a protest. And uh, I see that you're here. Your name is Lynn, you said. Yes. And you're holding up a sign. What does your sign say? Well, economic lockdown equals national suicide. If we don't get the economy going again soon, this is, this is going to be devastating. It already is. I know someone who's here who's lost 80% of their income. And uh, this just can't go on. We need to open up, reopen businesses, do it safely. Dan Dix, I think it's so cool. Uh, this is a fellow blogger. Now you were out here. Um, you were out here last uh, last week, I believe, right? And you went. You had a. You did a video, and I heard it's like had a couple million views and three point two as today. Three point two million. Yeah. Because I think that people are very alarmed about what's going on. So tell me, you're the reporter on the beat. You're ahead of this. I, I consider you an expert. What are you seeing and what do you believe about all of this? Well, I think clearly there are people who are uh, fed up with the current lockdown scenario based on the numbers. Because uh, the information that a lot of uh, people are getting are from, you know, the, the CDC, the World Health Organization, Bill Gates and the likes. And we're finding that a lot of the things that are saying are turning out to not be true or they kind of change their tune a little later down the road and we feel that the current lockdown is uh, is worse than the problem itself that the economic ramifications of what are going to come from shutting down the global economy the middle class small and medium-sized businesses um, is go it's going to lead to huge ramifications I mean the IMF the International Monetary Fund has just said that this is potentially leading us into something that's going to be worse than the Great Depression now a lot of people say, aren't you concerned with people's well-being and their lives? And I say, well, yes I am. If we continue down this road, this is leading towards mass poverty, starvation, suicides, people murdering each other for food, you name it. The, 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 the economic calamity of what may come if we continue in this way is going to be very bad for society. And that's what these people see. They recognize that and they want to speak out against uh, about that. Really, it is a very serious thing. People are starting to talk online. Uh, how long is this happening? And is this just a setup for a whole different agenda to come in with uh, socialism and communism, as some have already said? Well, I think it is. I think we can see uh, uh, clearly that there was an agenda beforehand um, for, for a lot of bigger things coming down the pipe, uh, things that we've been talking about for decades now. Um, so we're seeing a massive, massive um, attack on, on the freedoms and rights of individuals and this is all based on some faulty numbers again the CDC has already admitted that uh, the, the death certificate numbers are being fudged because people are being having their deaths chalked up to COVID-19 when they had a number of other ailments cancers and a number of things that they're actually dying from so we're seeing that people are dying with COVID-19 but not from COVID-19 but it's being chalked up as a death and that of course affects the numbers yes. and that affects the psyche of the masses so when you have somebody like Dr. Fauci who says there's going to be 200,000 dead and millions infected, but then later they rescind on that and they say, actually, it's closer to 60K. Well, the damage has already been done in the minds of the masses. Those people have already been instilled with the idea that this is an insanely deadly pandemic 
Um, by the time they rescinded on that, it's, the damage has already been done. Uh, people think uh, that this is far worse than, than it clearly is. Well, absolutely, and I was just listening to a doctor, very, very outraged, Dan, because he can treat uh, COVID-19 patients. He can treat that. Uh, there, there's all the remedies, including what I've been touting, along with President Trump, and uh, be apparently because President Trump says something, nobody wants to listen. But uh, hydroxychloroquine uh, and zinc and azithromycin is working, and it's working in miraculous ways um, to to help to cure of this. Uh, but yet, what we're told is that we can't go out. We've, you know, we've got to be locked down, uh, put our country in total chaos. I don't know what the plan is to recover from this, but if he's you know, knowing Trudeau, he's going to try to do this to us and fear monger. And you know the way he talks where he gives you a big, like a little lecture and you better stay home, you know. And he, to me, I just I have a hard time taking him seriously because he looks like he's acting. I just want to get out here and uh, try to educate people that they don't need to live in fear. You know, we got to turn off the TV, what the political parasites are telling us on the TV. Uh, these agenda-pushing, slimy newscasters that are not doing any journalism. They don't know how to investigate. They don't know how to ask questions. All they do is push the narrative that they're being asked to push. So I know I'm using harsh words and harsh language, but they pretty much are like media whores. And you guys have to see that. You have to see the narrative and agenda being pushed. You have to, we have to trust our eyes. We've been, we've been conditioned to trust what news is telling us as truth. The government has our best interest. Well, no, you know what? It's time to turn the critical thinking back on, the discernment, turn that back on, and trust your senses. Look in front of you. There's no pandemic. People aren't falling to their knees, coughing up blood. There's not ambulance sirens going on off 24 hours a day. Go to your hospital, look up, film your ha hospital, hashtag film your hospital. All the hospitals all over the world, there's hundreds of videos, they're all empty. The nurses are singing, they're doing uh, they're doing dance routines. The number is 0. 0.00000013, something like that, of the world's population has died. Does this mean we turn off the world's economy, that we live in fear, that we don't hug our loved ones, that we'd be afraid we're going to kill our grandpa, grandma? You know, the elders in our family, the children, and live in fear, put on masks. You've got quite the mask on, sir. So, so you're down here, what are you, what are you here to say? Well, I just want to say that when you keep uh, sick people in quarantine, that's maybe a little bit justified, but when you keep healthy people under house arrest, that's not quarantine, that's tyranny. I'm here because I'm watching my country be destroyed by a medical scam. And I think it's been blown all out of proportion. And I've seen too many videos of people who went to their local hospitals and found them empty. And there was one taken uh, uh, last week, I think, of Vancouver General. I think only one or two of the ambulances were out. Everybody else was lined up in a row in the parking garage. So picture this, my friends. Your father falls gravely ill. You rush him to the hospital, and the doctors there tell you that they must put your father into a medically induced coma because that's the only way that they can prevent the disease from spreading that is going to kill him. 
They say that also they need that time to prepare the operating room for a very, very complicated surgery to save your father's life. Reluctantly, in great emotional pain, you agree to allow them to put your father into a medically induced coma to save his life and to get ready to remediate his disease. Now, what happens? Over the next couple of days, the doctors tell you that, well, you see, they're not quite ready for the operating room procedure to save his life. You're going to have to wait. And then they keep extending the time that your father is going to be in this medically induced coma. You begin to become uneasy, concerned, fearful about the motives of the doctors. They keep him on this medically induced coma to the point where the coma is starting to threaten his life more than the actual illness. And they're never ready. They keep him on. They keep postponing the time they're going to take him off. His muscles are starting to atrophy. His breathing is becoming labored. And still they wait. And still they delay. And still this temporary measure seems to stretch forward week after week after week. And then you find out that the doctor in charge of your father hates your father and wants him dead. Welcome to the mainstream media. The medical establishment, coronavirus, and your basic freedoms. That was Stefan Molyneux from his own April 17th YouTube posting, Understanding the Coronavirus Quarantine. And speaking about basic freedoms, the way that police around the world have treated innocent people for being out in public has been alarming. I've seen dozens of completely outrageous video accounts online, such as the one featured by the Rebel Media, where Artur Pulowski was feeding homeless people in downtown Calgary, when over half a dozen police officers surrounded him and issued him a $1,200 fine. And there's a father who was handcuffed and fined for playing soccer with his young son out, out on a public soccer field. And some of the things police have done to protesters and others for simply being out in public is immoral and reprehensible. It's unconscionable. In fact, police in my own hometown of London, Ontario, are currently investigating some 50 or so attendees of a local church service that took place this past weekend, even though all of them were sitting in their cars listening to the sermon on a closed-circuit FM signal. None of them violated any known social distancing rules, but apparently because there were more of them than were allowed to congregate in one place, or some other such stupid, subjective, tyrannical principle, they're in danger of being fined. And towards the end of last week as well, on a more personal level, my daughter Danielle told me what happened to my three grandchildren who wandered out into the completely empty park that borders on their backyard, which is not fenced. My eldest grandson, who attends college, took his much younger seven-year-old twin brother and sister out to the park for a run. When my granddaughter sat down on the grass, a woman from a nearby parking lot got out of her car and started using a megaphone to tell the kids that they were trespassing and that they may not remain stationary on the soccer field, but are allowed to walk through. Isn't it funny how you can be trespassing and standing still, but not trespassing? if you're on the same property but are in motion, who comes up with these unbelievably stupid and irrational rules that have no bearing whatever on spreading any kind of virus. 
I find it more than alarming that Canadian police would be so eager and motivated to arrest innocent citizens for being on the commons when just recently we witnessed the utter reluctance of Canadian police to arrest a handful of protesters blockading Canada's railway lines. It was a complete disruption to the economy, yet the Canadian government was reluctant to simply enforce its own laws. Now, today, the police enforcing the arbitrary state shutdowns are still maintaining and enforcing a complete disruption of the economy. See where the consistency is? The police state tactics that are being increasingly used in circumstances where they're simply not warranted, even under the restrictions, are more than troubling. Now here we have some more dispatches from Anon, our anonymous inside informer who works in an Ontario hospital emergency and ICU department. Quote, One of the funniest spectacles is to watch everyone in the hospital walk around with face shields. On many people, they point off their forehead in more of a visor-like fashion. Even when properly affixed, there's still a two-inch-plus gap between the bottom of the face and the mask. I like to go around reminding people that the viral particles must be floating under that gap all the time as you sit at a desk far away from any infectious source. It's like a giant theater or religious ritual that we all participate in, completely disconnected from real life. It's bizarre. It's like an ideology or something. I can't wrap my head around it. I just sit back and laugh because it's quite funny. This is what it must have felt like to be a dissident against the racial ideology under Nazi Germany watching the herd engage in bizarre social rituals. There is no real connection between the acuity of viral threat and the actions of even the most intelligent doctors. My colleagues tell me I should listen to Angela Merkel when I advocate ending lockdown. Their rationale? She's a smart woman and has a degree in quantum chemistry. I reply that this is the problem with the methodology behind the coronavirus lockdown. We are using the methodology of physics and chemistry to determine how to use the blunt force of government on human beings. Human beings are not particles or chemicals, and hence models that use the methodology of physics and chemistry on human phenomenon should be treated with the utmost skepticism, if not dismissed out of hand. And notice how they're still bandying about the floating concept of healthcare system capacity, continues Anon. I maintain that this is an almost meaningless concept. The supposed inability to scale up healthcare in the face of sudden demand is a creation of government. Before the pandemic struck, based on the data from Wuhan, we knew that the primary victims from COVID-19 were those at the frailest end of age and health spectrum. Then in a follow-up dispatch, Anon writes, Sometimes I wonder if I'm being too harsh or critical against the healthcare system. But I think this pandemic has brought to the forefront the whole host of epistemological and ethical issues I've passively observed for many years. I recently stated that the rush to intubate practically amounts to murder at times, though perhaps not in a legal sense. The reality is that the top-down policy response to this pandemic leads to clinical scenarios like this. The other day, an elderly person came to triage struggling to breathe, and my initial assessment was accurate that they were lapsing into multi-organ failure. To make a long story short, the patient was rapidly stabilized with high-potency IV medication and oxygen. At that point, the doctor started pushing for non-invasive mechanical ventilation. I gave some pushback, stating the clinical parameters were heading in the right direction, and I thought the patient did not warrant the escalation of interventions. The doctor then said to call the respiratory therapist, RT, for another opinion. The RT agreed with me that the ventilation was an unnecessary escalation. But get this, 
She said that due to COVID-19 policies, they are to avoid all non-invasive ventilation and go straight to intubation. So I asked the RT if that meant that even in the case of the patient we're discussing, the policy would be to intubate instead of trying a less invasive form of ventilation, even if it means an unnecessary escalation of intervention that may effectively kill the patient unnecessarily? The RT said, yes. And we are filling up the ICU unnecessarily and creating a false surge in acuity. This is the ethical reality we are living in. If there are not people like myself and the respiratory therapist around to advocate for the patients, many gung-ho doctors are basically putting lives at risk by jumping the gun to intubate in patients that clearly don't need it. Nearly all COVID-19 patients put on ventilators in New York's largest healthcare system died, study finds, reads the headline of a CNN report on April 23rd written by Maggie Fox, who reports that 88% of the people who were placed on ventilators died. And luckily, just 12% of the patients in the study needed ventilators. And the study was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. The records support what doctors have been saying about the coronavirus. Most people who become severely ill have some sort of so-called underlying condition. More than half, or 57%, had high blood pressure, 41% were obese, and 34% had diabetes. But as far as most of the other patients, quote, on average, patients were sent home after four days, end quote. <laughs> and so we got another dispatch from Anon who wrote, Okay, guys, I'm telling you. I've had enough anecdotal experience observing not only my own hospital, but I've been surveying all the doctors and nurses who work at other hospitals across the GTA. Hospitals are effing dead. Conspiracy? I can assure you that the inpatient demand has continued to drop since April 8th. None of the models have been even close. I can't believe the media and political unreality we are living in. Conspiracy maybe not. I don't attribute to malice what can be explained by stupidity. People need to know the truth. There never was, and I doubt there ever will be, a hospital surge, except for the one created by government policy when the tsunami of patients who've spent the last month or so without treatment come crashing through the doors eventually. I forgot to mention that infectious disease expert and Canadian media personality Dr. Rao, who I just saw at a presentation, and it was the best. I'm not sure if he was being deliberate or not, but he was flagrantly violating social distancing standards while sharing the stage with the hospital executives. You could see them all squirming and even giggling nervously as he was speaking in their presence closer than two meters. I'm convinced it was a passive-aggressive act of defiance. It was brilliant, and it made me laugh. As an expert, during the presentation, he openly endorsed Sweden's approach. Just thought I'd mention that because it warmed my heart. There is a quiet majority among us. Then on a following dispatch, Anon writes, quote, I conducted an informal survey asking my colleagues if they would join a Nurses Against the Lockdown protest group. The response I got was that although many support me in spirit, they would be too afraid of other people's backlash. I guess there was a protest the other day and Doug Ford says, God forbid one of them ends up in the hospital, end quote, which was just what we read earlier. I'm so disgusted with the use of frontline workers as proxy warriors for his tyranny. So disgusted. When will this end? I can't take it anymore. Well, Anon is not alone in his frustration. The same frustrations exist as far away as California, where two local doctors in Kern County who run Accelerated Urgent Care held a media briefing on April 25th 
during which they made it clear that it's time to end the shutdown. Here they are, Dr. Dan Erickson and Dr. Artin Masihi. So, in my opinion, what are the risks, what are the benefits of, 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 of social isolation? And we think that the risks of social isolation uh, are too high. There's, there's a post today from a doctor from Wisconsin. I encourage you all to read it. I'll share his story with you. It is exactly what we're saying. And he eloquently displays, he's an ER doctor. He says, I'm walking into this war zone. Our ICUs are empty. I'm scared to go to my own place of work. There's no patients, but we have people in hazmat suits checking my temperature as I walk through the doors. He's like, something else is going on here. This is not about science, and it's not even about COVID. When they use the word safe, the word safe, if you listen to the word safe, that's about controlling you. So when I talk to all my ER doctors who work in a hospital, no stake in the game, same opinion. We're presenting we're, the medical. We need, to, we need to stay on things that we, are, we can answer intelligently, which is not why does a CEO of some hospital in Wisconsin do that. We need to stay on the topic of do we need to shelter in place and does that make sense from the microbiology knowledge we've known for 30 years. The, 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 the sciences haven't changed. We live our life in the life sciences. So from what we're seeing right now, it's time to open back up. The science says it is. The models we have been using from predictions to predict the amount of disease are not accurate. This information is accurate. It models the flu. Let's go back to work. That's what the data is saying. Not models. Data is saying that. Would you say, though, that I mean, like a situation in New York City, that's not like a flu. I mean, the hospitals there are completely overwhelmed and swamped, and mm -hmm. people, you know, working in the ERs are dying from this. So, I mean, there is a, that's not just a flu type situation. Well, look, right? at, look at Italy in 2017. Hospital systems overwhelmed, people dying, overwhelmed system from the flu. This happens from the flu. If you've been working in the ERs, I've seen multiple people, hallways full, people dying, news media there, stories going on from the flu. This does happen. This does happen. It's not just the flu, it's no. the flu. That's what I mean. That's, that, that, that's exactly what I mean. People think it's just the flu. It's just coronavirus. What's the difference? You're used to the flu. You're used to saying it's just the flu. FLU, influenza, is something we've grown up with. You're, you're used to it. You're used to it, right? If somebody commits suicide today, you're like, yeah, that person committed suicide, it's awful. Or if somebody dies today from the flu, they died from the flu, it's awful, terrible, but we're used to it. We're not used to coronavirus. Not used to something brings fear. Human well, beings don't I like change. I just, you know, I mean, from the things that I've been reading, uh, even, you know, doctors working in the ERs in New York City, I, mean, I haven't heard any one of them saying, oh, it's similar to a flu outbreak. I mean, they were pretty impacted by swine flu in New York City. Mm -hmm. But if I you, haven't heard anybody really say, oh, it's just like swine flu was. You know, I mean, have you... Well, and it's getting, they're getting hit hard. They're a hot zone. And we don't ride subways with, you know, a thousand people in a small car. They're this close. They had reasons for the disease. And coronavirus is shown to be very contagious. Let's be clear. It is contagious. We're not saying it's not. It may even be, from what I've read, more contagious and spread more rapid. But the actual cause of death and the disease cycle is similar to what we're seeing from the flu, with more of a respiratory component. You know, and they were, they were screaming for ventilators. What percent of people die on ventilators? 
80, 90%. Once you're on a ventilator, if you understand, you're in a bad shape. And they're screaming for 30,000 ventilators that they didn't use, right? They're screaming for a lot of things, 30,000, they used five. How many hundred percent over did they order? How many hundreds of millions of dollars? Entire companies, GM, were forced to switch their production lines. For what? I'm saying the secondary causes of what we're seeing oil shut down. We, are, we have predictable negatives from, from, from lockdown. Predictable negatives. Corona has unpredictable negatives. No, I see what you're saying. And I mean, it sounds like you're saying, you know, we actually have some data to look at now. And in the yeah. beginning, we didn't really know, but now we can draw some conclusions. And, and those conclusions that you guys were able to draw, really the, the entire nation, do you think, you know, respectively, the numbers are low in those ratios that you were mentioning, the, the fatality versus how many people have them, because we've been social distancing? No, you, you don't think no. it's because since we started doing these, that those models that are coming health shows how effective social distancing is, that's, that's all false. But that's why we went over Sweden and Norway. I, I, we went over Sweden and Norway because you have lockdown, no lockdown. Sweden, no lockdown. Norway, lockdown. That's, with, that's 10 million, that's 15 million people. We have the data. That's what I just went over with you. Lockdown. Norway and Sweden also have drastically different testing standards and metrics. Norway is basically testing everybody. Sweden, they're only testing you if you under. No, that's not that's that not accurate. Correct. They're not testing everybody. Well, so, of course, they're not testing all 5.5 million Norwegians, but their testing is much more widespread. The, the bottom line is, from those of us who study it and have a background in this, is. Lockdown versus non-lockdown did not produce a statistically different number of deaths. That is the bottom line. I hear our president, I hear our governor say social distancing is working. And you guys are saying, it's not needed. So well, I, guess that's, needed. I guess that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. Like, why is that? It was needed initially. Are they lying? Are they it, lying? It was needed initially. They actually, I, I completely, we both agree with exactly what they did initially because we didn't know. It was an unknown. Now it is becoming known. Initially, when, you're, when you don't know something, you're extra careful because you're fearful. It's just like... Um, when you see a patient and they're very sick, you test for everything because you're scared, you're fearful. But then, as, as you see more of those patients, you realize, hey, I know what to test for, right? It's shotgun effect versus sniper effect, right? So initially, when, when this data came out of a new virus that's causing, that's, that's lethal, they, they, went out, they went all out. And I think that was appropriate. But now that we have the data, we're, we're seeing that 96, 97% of patients completely recover. And those four patients that die, they have over 90% comorbidities. Let's run, let's run through that one more time. Out of 100 people, if 96 do fine, the four that die, 90% of those four have comorbidities. Heart failure, emphysema, um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, they're on immunomodulating medications, they're immunodeficient, HIV. These are the people that are dying. You get some healthy people that die, but that's an infinitesimal number. Tiny. So, and you think that that differentiation of 
the view, the conclusions that you doctors are drawing versus them is because they are academics or something along that line? Well, I just, I think, I think we're in the weeds. We work with this every single day, and the numbers don't make sense to us. And they don't make sense to ER physicians and physicians all over the country. It's not just us. We're not saying we're right. We're saying, here's the data. Here's what we understand. Mm -hmm. It's not a you're right and you're wrong thing. It's the way we interpret data. We work in the field, and some people that are not working in the field and still getting a paycheck have a different opinion. If you weren't getting a paycheck, you might have a different opinion. Yeah. If you weren't getting a paycheck, if everybody in here is getting a paycheck, right? Cafe Rio is not. They've all been furloughed. Mm -hmm. When you don't get a paycheck, your opinions start switching. Yeah. If you were at home furloughed for the unforeseeable future, would you be excited about staying sheltering in place? But no, I mean, I completely understand. I mean, we're seeing this around the country now, I think, you know, that people are demanding that they be allowed to go back to work. And well, it's also, at, at what point, who says what's safe? Are you smart enough to know what's safe for you? Or is the government going to tell you what's safe for you? Who tells you what's... As soon as they use the word safe, that means control. We know what's safe for you. You're too dumb to understand disease, you see. We know what's safe. And so they're going to use this model for different things. We got a bomb threat from China. Everybody stay in their home for three months. What? They are using this to see how much of their freedom can they take from you. And will you roll over and stay in your house? And it's working. Like shooting fish in a barrel. And that's probably why it's feeling like day 1984 of the shutdown. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. During the course of Drs. Erickson and Masihi's much longer media briefing, they went into a lot of detail about how staying at home and not mingling with other people will prove to be far more deadly than any perceived threats now. By staying home and isolating, we are all drastically weakening our immunity systems, which completely depend upon social interaction. A nation kept indoors and isolated for many months when suddenly allowed to socialize again will experience a spike in a host of diseases related to viral and bacterial infections. The doctors also stressed that wearing gloves and masks can be a far greater risk to contracting the virus than wearing nothing, and a point to be made here. And I can't help but make this observation, is that doctors on the front lines consistently seem to have a completely different take on this whole COVID-19 panic than do the doctors of the bureaucratic elite. They're in two different worlds. The frontline workers are by the nature of what they do, deeply rooted in reality, whereas the bureaucrats and our politicians are deeply rooted in unreality and driven by an evil and inverted code of morality that can only be recognized as altruism. Altruists are always morally condemning those they regard as selfish and always morally elevating those who they put under their cult of sacrifice. I mean, Doug Ford and John Tory provide daily examples of this. Altruism is the moral code of a death cult. All people on the left are driven by it. Altruism is irrational. Altruism is evil. We're here to save lives, cry the altruists, as they systematically imprison and murder the populace. And now their tactics are reverting to the same arguments constantly and falsely used in the climate change conspiracy by labeling anyone who understands anything about climate a climate change denier. Well, guess what? Now we have coronavirus deniers. 
This from the National Post of April 23rd, written by Anatoly Gruzd and Philip Mai. Headline reads, Coronavirus deniers say they can prove the pandemic is an elaborate hoax. And I quote, Conspiracy theorists, coronavirus deniers, have been using the hashtag FilmYourHospital to encourage people to visit local hospitals to take pictures and videos to prove that the COVID-19 pandemic is an elaborate hoax. But many hospitals have banned visitors and doctors have had to postpone or cancel elective and non-urgent procedures to free up medical staff and resources. This empty hospital conspiracy theory joins a parade of false, unproven, and misleading claims about the virus. And then get this. We did find signs of ad hoc cooperation among conservative internet personalities and far-right groups attempting to take a baseless conspiracy theory and turn it into a weapon against their political opponents, end quote. And here I sit, an internet personality of the far-right turning the objective fact of empty hospitals into a baseless conspiracy theory that can be used as a weapon against my political opponents. Oh my God, this utter garbage coming again from the National Post, which most people in Canada still believe to be a newspaper representing the right side of the political polarity. I really don't know what to say about an article like this after having for the past two months been personally receiving anonymous dispatches from the front lines and after hearing an endless string of doctors like the ones we just heard and an avalanche of evidence demonstrating that there are truly empty hospitals. We're getting these stories from all over North America. This article is fake news in that it has presented no evidence whatever that our hospitals are not empty other than saying, oh, the hospitals have banned visitors and doctors have had to postpone or cancel elective and non-urgent procedures. Well, exactly. Hello? Anybody home up there? What was not mentioned in the article about hospital emptiness is that there's no wave of COVID-19 patients to treat, as we have ourselves been reporting week after week, from people on the front lines. And we're still offered no clear, unequivocal reason for why we're being treated this way in the face of a virus that has simply not demonstrated itself to be the deadly plague described by our officials. Repeatedly, we're being told that the vast majority of us, even if we contract the virus, will only experience mild symptoms or none at all. So I'm still asking, what makes this particular virus so unique that our world governments have acted in such an unprecedented and extreme manner? The media is not even attempting to ask such a question. And quite frankly, their theory doesn't make any sense anymore. Neither does the official advice that we're being given regarding the virus. When someone starts to speculate about what's really going on in the face of completely irrational actions on the part of our governments, officials accuse them of spreading misinformation and conspiracy theories. This after the officials themselves have been demonstrated and proven to be wrong over and over and over again. And still they expect everyone to have faith in their completely bogus predictions and theories by forcing us to stay shut in as we await the second coming. Or was that called a second wave? I don't think there's much difference right now. Which I'm now hearing, by the way, to be predicted to be sometime in October. On this side of our upcoming bumper, the National Post's Tristan Hopper, with his own conspiracy theory, why COVID-19 didn't come from where you think it comes, about why all the other conspiracy theories are wrong. And on the return side of the bumper, right angles Bill Whittle in an impassioned reaction to what he calls our poisoned and septic media. By now you've probably seen this story, that U.S. and British intelligence are looking into the possibility that COVID-19 escaped from a Chinese laboratory. 
Now, to be clear, the allegation is not that China created this virus, and especially not that they created it as a bioweapon. Let's just get in front of that right now, because that's a really stupid theory. Here's a tip about germ warfare. If you're trying to unleash bio-war on the world, you usually don't start by killing several thousand of your own people. No, the allegation here is that a Chinese laboratory was working on some natural coronaviruses, and whoops, one of the staff got infected, and now 100,000 people are dead. Now, that's less of a crazy theory, because lab screw-ups happen all the time. Case in point, in 2014, it emerged that labs connected to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control were guilty of the following. Accidentally exposing a bunch of researchers to anthrax, losing some vials of smallpox, mailing out some mislabeled samples of superflu. Now, there is zero evidence that this pandemic came from a Chinese lab cock-up. If you go around saying that the National Post told you that Xi Jinping's China created the coronavirus in a lab, I'm going to be very angry with you. However, there's very good reason to believe that the most popular theory about the virus's origins is not right. Early research is pretty clear that COVID-19 originated in a bat. But the theory is that a bat infected with the virus was taken to the Huanan seafood wholesale market in China, where it passed to humans, and three months later, Saturday Night Live looks like this. The seafood market was first pinpointed in connection to the novel coronavirus in an early January statement by the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission. Then you've got a study in The Lancet saying that of the first 41 known cases of COVID-19, 27 of them had been to the market. Problem number one, crowded meat markets aren't the most sanitary of places, but say you've got a dead bat with COVID-19. How does that bat suddenly infect dozens of people? Slaughtering weird animals is a great way to catch a new virus, but it's not like those 27 people were making out with the bat. For instance, I'm guessing you've purchased raw chicken from a butcher at some point in your life. Did you and everyone else at the butcher shop just randomly catch salmonella? Second, it would be really weird if we immediately knew the exact place where a new virus came from, particularly this virus. The whole reason COVID-19 is killing everyone is because it's really hard to contact trace. You or I could have it right now and nobody will ever know. And actually, we usually never figure out the precise origins of viruses. Take HIV. All we really know is that it came from Africa somewhere about 120 years ago. We kind of know where SARS came from, Foshan Municipality in China's Guangdong province in late 2002, but it's not like we had it pinpointed to a specific address within days of it emerging. Third, remember that Lancet study? The earliest possible case they could find identified in early December was a guy who never left his house and had no connection to the market whatsoever. So before anyone got sick at that market, it seems like this virus was already all over Wuhan. Now, the seafood market still seems to play a key role in the early days of COVID-19, but not as the origin. What seems more likely is that someone who already had COVID-19 wandered into the market, maybe didn't cover their mouth when they coughed, and bingo, a whole bunch of other shoppers have a new virus. So to review, we don't know where COVID-19 comes from, it probably didn't come from the Huanan market, and yeah, sometimes labs screw up and release unbelievably dangerous pathogens. This is what is going on with our society right now. We have a septic media. It's an infection. I'm going to make the case, and then I'm going to tell you why. Here's a headline from The Independent. It's one of very variations on a theme, and it says, Coronavirus. Trump suggests injecting disinfectant and touts power of sunlight to beat disease. And then I see the disinfectant, where it knocks it out. 
in a minute, one minute, and is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see, it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. So let's just look at this paragraph, because this is the paragraph that our septic media is using to convince you that Donald Trump told people to inject Lysol in. What is he really saying? Well, why don't we look at that? Is there a way we can do something like that? That's a question. In other words, is there any kind of a non-immune response that can reduce these viruses, sterilize the viruses, knock them out in a minute? And as it turns out, there are a number of medications, including hydroxychloroquine and other antivirals that do exactly precisely what he's talking about. They go inside the body and they and they attack the virus in a non-immune response way. This is not a directive, this is a question. And needless to say, the end of the paragraph is pretty clear here. We're gonna have to use medical doctors, but it seems interesting to me. You know what? It seems interesting to me too. And when the president says we're gonna have to use medical doctors, that's about as far away as saying that he told people to inject themselves with Lysol as it can possibly get. We're gonna have to have have medical doctors, but it seems interesting to me. He never, ever suggested that you should inject yourself with disinfectant. It's a flat-out goddamn lie, is what it is. It's just plain lying. Let's see what else they have to say in this article. Floated more trial medical balloons on Thursday night, quote, repeatedly suggesting disinfectant be injected into the bodies of humans to cure coronavirus patients while doubling down on his claim that sunlight kills the deadly virus. He did no such thing. That is absolute slander. Libel, I suppose. It's both. He did no such thing. And they quote it directly. If you don't actually read, if you don't actually listen to the quote, why would you not believe this? Let's see what else they said. Under questioning from reporters, later said that federal laboratories are not considering or trying to develop such a treatment option. In other words, it's only the reporters that could save us from the ideas that we would go out and inject Lysol directly into our veins because that's what the president told us to do. But thank God that under questioning from reporters, it was clarified that federal laboratories are not considering or trying to develop injecting Lysol into your bloodstream. That's true. But to say that they are not trying to develop a treatment option that is a non-immune response option is a flat-out lie. It is an incredible lie. They are working constantly on chemicals, on drugs to disinfect the body internally that is not using immune response. And again, hydroxychloroquine is just one of many. So let me just say one thing. First of all, if you hear the president talking about a drug called hydroxychloroquine showing uh, medical promise, which it does, or you hear the president talking about the idea of using a non-immune system way to treat the disease internally, which we are, if you derive from this that you should go out and drink aquarium cleaner or inject Lysol into your, into your veins, then you are not smart enough to live in a free society. So now let's go to this business about how Trump is claiming that sunshine will cure the virus. You know, Trump, that idiot who doesn't take anything seriously. You just go stand out in the sun and you'll be cured of COVID-19. That is the tone that they're taking. So let's see what the president actually said. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or 
uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Wow. Why would the president say something nutty like that? I don't know. Well, let's see. Let's have a little look here. I decided to look up uh, an idea. I went to Google and I said, does ultraviolet light kill viruses? Well, let's find out. Columbia News. Could new ultraviolet technology fight the spread of coronavirus? Hey, that looks interesting. Why don't we see what this has to say? A technique that zaps airborne viruses with a narrow length band of UV light shows promise for curtailing the person-to-person -person spread of COVID-19 in indoor public places. The technology, developed by Columbia University in New York City, you've probably heard of them, Center for Radiological Research uses lamps that emit continuous low doses of a particular wavelength of ultraviolet light known as FAR-UVC, which can kill viruses and bacteria without harming human skin, eyes, and other tissues, as the problem is with conventional UV light. Quote, far UVC light has the potential to be a game changer, unquote, said David Brenner, professor of radiation bio, uh, biophysics and director of the center. Quote, it can safely be used in occupied public spaces, and it kills pathogens in the air before we can breathe them in, unquote. The research team's experiments have shown that far UVC is effective in eradicating two types of airborne seasonal coronaviruses, the ones that cause coughs and colds. The researchers are now testing the light against the SARS-CoV-2 virus at Columbia in a biosafety laboratory with encouraging results, Brenner said. The team previously found the method effective in, activate, in inactivating the airborne H1N1 influenza virus as well as drug-resistant bacteria, and multiple long-term studies on animals and humans have confirmed that exposure of far UVC does not cause damage to the skin or eyes. Our system is a low-cost, safe solution to eradicating airborne viruses minutes after they've been breathed, coughed, or sneezed in the air, unquote. To continue the article, if widely used in occupied public spaces, far UVC technology has the potential to provide a powerful check on future epidemics and pandemics, Brenner said. He added that even when researchers develop a vaccine against the virus that causes COVID, it will not protect against the next novel virus. Then there's the quote about our system is safe, and he goes on to say, not only does it have the potential to prevent the global spread of the virus that causes COVID-19, but also future novel coronaviruses, as well as more familiar viruses like influenza and measles. Here's the final paragraph. Brenner, who's doing this study, envisions the use of a safe, overhead far UVC lamps in a wide range of indoor public spaces. The technology, which can easily be retrofitted into existing light structures, he said, could be deployed in hospitals and doctor's offices, as well as schools, shelters, airports, airplanes, and other transportation hubs. That is from Columbia News. There you have it. Now, in conclusion, let me say this. They have lied about what President Trump said, and they have lied about all of this in order to do two things. They want everybody who can possibly die to die, and they want the economy to crash as hard as it can. Now, you may think that that's uh, hyperbole, but you have to ask yourself, if it's hyperbole, why did the press make these statements about this? And this is just one case among hundreds of others where they're making everything look like it's Donald Trump's fault, it's his incompetence, it's responsible for all these deaths and so on. Quick word for you journalists out there, you so-called journalists out there who are covering Donald Trump. Let me just let you in on something, and all you liberals as well. Donald Trump is smarter than you are. He's much smarter than you are. We're smarter than you are as well. In denying that the coronavirus is a bioweapon, Tristan Hopper of the National Post logically reasoned that you usually don't start by killing several thousand of your own people. 
We heard Bill Whittle use that same argument last week on the show as he related his conspiracy theory about how the virus went viral. And you know, I meant to address that point on last week's show, but didn't get around to it. So let me ask the question now, why wouldn't China start by killing several thousand of its own people? This is China we're talking about. That government has killed millions of its own people. It is a brutal, criminal government that imprisons and enslaves millions as a matter of daily routine. And what better way to initiate a panic throughout the world while simultaneously making yourself look like the innocent victim of your own weapon, supposedly, than by doing exactly what was done? And that's just one of my own personal conspiracy theories. And I've got plenty more where that came from. And three cheers for Bill Whittle, whose passionate response to our septic media is something we need to hear more of. He's absolutely right. The left is a death cult, and never let yourself forget that fact, and we've been saying it since we started this show. And to my own shock, and as further evidence of Bill Whittle's case, this past weekend, the National Post again published a huge article written by Kate Kelland on April 25th with the headline, Trump's Disinfectant Ideas Horrify Doctors and Academics. Quote, an international chorus of doctors and health experts urged people not to drink or inject disinfectant on Friday after Trump suggested that scientists should investigate inserting the cleaning agent into the body as a way to cure COVID-19. I'm reading this out of the National Post, folks. Trump has also promoted the anti-malaria drug called hydroxychloroquine to treat people with COVID-19 even though its effectiveness is unproven and there are concerns about heart issues. The suggestion that bleach and related compounds are a miracle cure has a history in America's conspiratist fringes, end quote, and blah, 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 blah. I don't know who she is, but Kate Kellen should be ashamed of herself for writing this fake news and garbage, and the National Post should be ashamed for printing it. Are these people not even aware that in the age of the internet, every individual can personally witness the original event for themselves to see the obvious discrepancy between what happened and what's being reported? It's every bit as flagrant and as consistent as Bill Whittle suggested. Our media continues to be poison to the social fabric of Western culture. Particularly alarming is the continuous call for some version of a permanent police state and a resistance to any and all demonstrated, if not proven scientifically, but demonstrated successful treatments of COVID-19. Well, I've reached a point now where, for me, the whole COVID-19 issue has become another fighting climate change issue. Moreover, the same people are behind each pandemic conspiracy, and broadly speaking, that's the left. Reality, reason, self, consent, those are the four philosophical pillars of individualism and a free society, and that's why all of them are under attack by these leftist movements of fighting climate change and fighting flu viruses. Theirs are irrational and evil political objectives which demand a denial of reality, an attack on reason, a morally self-righteous condemnation of selfishness, and the utter violation of our right to operate on the principle of consent. And being on the right, we shall always stay on our track of rationality, as we invite you to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Action! Report! They are coming out, all present and accounted for. Good.
Now, men, I have a very important announcement to make. Hey, they're going to surrender. Smart move. Hey, the crafts are going to surrender. Who told you? I just heard it. Hey, hey the crafts are surrendering. Colonel Hogan, control your men. Oh, I can't, sir. The news of your surrender is... Who said anything about a surrender? You did, sir. When? Just now, you used the word yourself. <laughs> Only to deny it. Well, it had to start somewhere. Silence. Okay, men, the surrender's off. Oh, oh, sorry. Sorry. 